Let's get into the Gospel of Mark, and you can turn to a new chapter. It's Mark chapter 10, and we're going to be in the first 12 verses. And kind of like last week, this has been, um, we've been kind of immersed in the words of Jesus, and a lot of the words of Jesus have been comforting and pleasant, and some of his words have been challenging. Last week was challenging. We talked about hell and millstones around the neck and all sorts of stuff. Uh, today's going to be one of those challenging teachings of Jesus as well. Um, he's going to talk about marriage and relationships, uh, divorce and restoration. And, you know, going into a passage like this, I understand, gosh, there are a lot of relational statuses, if that's a real word, statuses, in a room like this, uh, a lot of complicated relationships, both good, bad, and very difficult. And um, for those of you that are already seeing this text and reading through it ahead of time, perhaps your heart is starting to feel a little tense as we go through it. And I just want to remind you of a couple things that these hard sayings are coming from a person who is not hard. It's Jesus Christ. And in everything that he says, I think we can trust that he's doing it for the good of people that he loves. Um, I also want to challenge us to get through this text together because I think you'll be surprised. Um, for those of you who maybe have been used to having the Bible used as a weapon against you, I think when you hear afresh the words of Jesus, you'll hear mercy, you'll hear kindness, you'll hear hope. And all I want to ask of you is just to get through this text with me and to hear and listen to the heart of what Jesus is saying. I went through it knowing that I was going to have to preach it. Um, this is my second time preaching through one of these passages. And each time I do that, I'm pleasantly surprised by the Lord. So can we do this? I think uh, what Jesus is going to leave us with is something wonderful, even if it starts off challenging. Uh, I'm going to read through this entire passage, all 12 verses, so that we can take in the full sweep of what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, and then we'll kind of piece by piece walk through it and interact with some of, the, um, some of it as we go and make application to our lives. Um, taking it up in verse 1, it says, and he left there, speaking of Jesus, Jesus left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. One of my favorite lines, and as was his custom, he taught them. Verse 2, and Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And he answered them, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, yeah, it's because of your hardness of heart he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Verse 10. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for our time. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gospel of Mark, the good news of Jesus Christ according to Mark. Um, and part of the reason we're going through it from beginning to end is so we don't skip stuff. And that comes from kind of a, an assumption that everything that you've said to us is good, including this. But I know we also come to passages like this with all sorts of stories, things we've been through, hurt, pain, um, and I know that you care about those things too. And so I just want to pray that as we go through this, every single person in this room would be able to come away with something specific that the Lord uh, is speaking to that person. Not just in this room, but out in the parking lot, um, joining us live from their living rooms and kitchens and cars on podcasts. We ask that the Holy Spirit would speak to us and speak to us healing and restoration. Um, and Lord, help me to to do well in representing what you have said. Um, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to frame this heavy and very challenging passage with three questions. Three questions I think we all ask. Uh, three questions that are certainly being asked by the audience that Jesus has. Keep in mind, one of those audiences is the Pharisees who seem to ask silly questions, and the disciples later on. And the first question, I'll give you the questions as we go, but the first question is, what can I get away with? What can I get away with? This is the question I think the Pharisees are asking. This is also a question I sometimes ask, and perhaps we sometimes ask, and I want you to hear it in the text itself, the first four verses. It says, Jesus left there, uh, went to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. Crowds were gathering, and he started teaching them. Enter the Pharisees. The Pharisees came up in order to test him. I want you to underline that, at least in your head. They came to test him and asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And he answered, What did Moses command you? What, what do the Hebrew scriptures say? And they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of a divorce in order to, uh, and to send her away. End quote. I want to start this passage because I have the sense that if any of us were in the room asking similar questions, Jesus would have given us different answers. It's the Pharisees here. And the start of this passage kind of frames what's happening. The Pharisees have entered the chat, okay? And Jesus seems to treat them a little bit differently than he treats the rest of us. And it's for this particular reason. I want you to go back to what you underlined in that they were asking this question in order to test him. This seems to be the posture of the Pharisees. And the Pharisees are still with us. It's that legalistic religious spirit that just wants to be right. And this seems to be the Pharisees' posture. They just want to catch Jesus in his words. Uh, short story, if he says one answer, if he says, yeah, divorce, do whatever, uh, they can pin uh, his crass attitudes towards marriage on Jesus. If he says, uh, no, absolutely do not do that, he, they, could, uh, they could accuse him of not trusting in Moses or the scriptures. There's no way to win an argument like that. Have you ever been in a conversation like that? with a friend or a family member or on Facebook comments or whatever. Like, there's just no way to win. And this is the posture that we're being set up with uh, and that type of conversation and that type of person. This is the posture that says, I'm just here to be right or to prove you wrong. 
You're just there for a right or wrong answer. You're not there to give or to receive, but to be right. Uh, This kind of creeps into our spirituality. It can creep into our relationships. It can creep into our church where success becomes less about change in our own development and love and more just about who's right and who's wrong and who cares if someone gets trampled along the way as long as I made my point. Perhaps some of you in this room have been on the hurtful opposite end of that exchange When we get to a place where all that matters, our metric for success is right and wrong, we've lost our way. We've lost our way. Pharisees are here. They don't actually care about people's marriages. They don't actually care about the well-being of people's souls. They might have at one point, maybe in school, maybe along the way as they were following a rabbi, but what we're seeing here is somebody who's lost sense of the beauty of God's kingdom and has made everything about right or wrong and who's in or who's out. They don't care about divorcees. They don't care about separated marriages. They don't care about the men or women in those marriages. They care about being right. And anytime you only care about being right, you want to know how to destroy a relationship in a day flat, care about what's right and only about what's right and wrong. In a game like that, there's only losers. Even if you come out of that exchange proving yourself right, there only seems to be losers. And out of this syndrome of wanting to be right or wrong and proving yourself right comes another posture of what can I get away with? In other words, you almost see this in the way that the Pharisees are postured. If I can't be right, then what can I get away with? What can I get away with? Like, where's the law, and how can I just kind of butt up right against that? This is the the classic religious spirit, right? What can I get away with in life? What can I get away with in my church relationships? What can I get away with in my marriage? What can I get away with in my singleness? What can I get away with at work? This is the question we've been asking since second grade. What can I get away with? And it's a game that you can't really win. And yet we see Jesus playing along with their game because, well, you can't beat him at his game. <laughs> and he, he does the typical rabbinic thing where he asks a question uh, to answer your question. Typical, typical rabbinic practice. He says, what do the scriptures say? Excellent question to ask yourself on frequent occasion. What do the scriptures say? And the Pharisees say, we're going we're gonna to kind of pick this apart in a second, but they say, well, Moses said we can get away with it. Here's what we can get away with. Divorce. If we have a certificate. Now let's back up. There's a lot of context here. And here's what you need to know. Here's what's important about where we're gonna go from here. In the first century, in the Greco-Roman culture, Jewish culture, all around, a man had all the leverage in that society, okay? It was a deeply patriarchal society. Some of you might be, yeah, we still live in that. But in the first century, I'm saying all the power was reserved for one side. Uh, It was said that a woman could not even give her testimony in a court of law. Her word was on the same level as a common slave. And in a relationship, uh, it wasn't just that. They couldn't own property. They couldn't get a job their success, and not even success, but their, 
their ability to survive in a society like that was tethered to a husband. And in that society, a man had all the leverage. And men would typically and commonly leave their wives for any and every reason, losing interest in them, uh, or even for smaller reasons. The rabbi Hillel, uh, in Jesus' day, there were two popular rabbis, Shimei and Hillel, and you could think of them as like the political right and the left. One was traditional, the other uh, wanted to change things. The traditional uh, rabbi who was popular at that time that the Pharisees followed was quoted as saying, it's permitted to divorce or leave your wife even if she burns your food. That's a quote. That's what women were facing, right? The problem, besides that that's incredibly heartbreaking, was that for a woman who was left by their husband in the first century, life could get very difficult. Uh, Not just difficult, but very dangerous Uh, In a society where not only your ability to thrive, but your safety and your well-being and your health, um, your ability to put food on the table was tied directly to a man, uh, your life could go downhill very quickly if you were left by your spouse. In fact, for those of you that might be familiar with the book of Ruth, we see that example with Naomi and with Ruth who were widowed, right? Right? Why were they so concerned about finding a spouse? Because they could die if they didn't. There were typically two ways for a woman to take care of herself if she didn't have a husband in the first century, and that was begging on the street or prostitution, okay? So when I say very dangerous for a woman in the first century, that's what I'm talking about. And so the Pharisees on the heel of that are waving the law in Jesus' face to the answer, an answer to his question and saying, well, what do the scriptures say about this whole marriage and divorce thing? And their response is, well, we can do it if we just sign a paper. <clears throat> Again, first question, I want to be right, but if I have to be wrong, what can I get away with? This is the posture of the, of the human heart apart from God. And Jesus, like he so often does, reframes the question. He says in verse five, Jesus said to them, well, it's because of the hardness of your heart that Moses wrote this commandment for you. It's because you're stubborn. You're stubborn and you've used things to trample on people and so he has to write laws to restrain the evil. (laughs) This is typically, this is why we see Paul would talk about this later. This is why we have law. It doesn't go far enough, but it goes just far enough to restrain evil and the stubbornness of human hearts um, so that we don't hurt each other too badly. But Jesus reframes the question. The first one in the human heart is, what can I get away with? Jesus reframes it to say, what does God's mercy say? What does God's mercy say? This law and what Jesus says about this particular law is actually an act of mercy on God's behalf for the marginalized. It was a concession for human weakness. And it was something that men, and specifically Pharisees, would use as leverage to get their way. And Jesus is calling it out. He's saying, this wasn't made for you. It was made for her. 
God made an allowance for divorce to protect the person in the relationship who is most prone to harm. See, if you did not have that official way out, a certificate, you couldn't get remarried. And if you were a woman and you couldn't get remarried in the first century, you might die. Jesus is pointing out that God's heart was not to give the people in power another leg up. It was for the mercy of the person in the relationship who's hurting. Moses' certificate was there seemingly to save a woman's life. Now, in this case, in this passage, it's almost 100%. I'd say 100%, the woman. Sometimes, and maybe today, it could be either. I guess it just depends on the situation. It's whoever in the situation is hurting, marginalized, on the wrong end of injustice, however you want to talk about it. And what I want us to see in this passage is that God cares about the hurting party. God cares about the lonely. He cares about the oppressed. Even when the law itself cannot fix those things, God's heart beats and throbs for the person who the rest of the world and society and even people have left by. This is also for people in our church who have gone through separations, uh, who have gone through divorce, I don't know your story. I know some of your stories. I know a lot of your stories. I don't know all of them. I don't know all the intricacies in some of them or what part you might have played in it, but God does. And I know that some of you were wronged, that you went through a situation where you got the wrong end of the deal. And when I read this, I see a a God who sees that and loves you and cares about you. Some of you were pushed away. Some of you were taken advantage of. Some of you tried to make it work. And you were in a relationship with somebody who just didn't want to participate in that. God sees you. He knows. God knows the brokenness of human relationships and says in the words of Jesus, this I understand the hardness of people's hearts. And in a perfect world, all of these relationships would be perfect. (laughs) But here's Jesus saying, they're not. And I understand. I don't like it. It wasn't my original design, and I'm doing something about it. But here's the world we live in, and here's God's mercy for you. There's also relationships that, for a variety of reasons, have had irreparable damage done to them. And there have been situations that I've seen in which there's just not, there's no space to go back. I've seen those too. God sees you and he understands. And in his mercy, in the statement and words of Jesus Christ himself, in a very hard topic, he makes space for that. God loves you wherever you're at in your relationships, and he's not ashamed of you. He's for you, and so neither am I against you. Neither am I ashamed of you. I'm for you, and according to the scriptures, we're for you. The other thing I think we need to understand is in all of the things that we tend to, all of the variegated ways we find ourselves in in relationships, 
married, non-married, single, roommates, college, work, employer, and all of the crazy and complicated ways we find themselves. We need to remember this. You don't get into the kingdom of heaven by being married. You don't get into the kingdom of heaven by having a great marriage. You don't get into the kingdom of heaven by being single. You don't get into the kingdom of heaven by being a great friend. You get into the kingdom of heaven by the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and through his resurrection who invites you into something that none of us truly understood or deserved. And in that party are going to be people with a wide variety of different relational baggage. And I'm one of them. So as we look upon each other, and we're not done with this passage, it gets a little little more hazy, and then we're done. As we look upon each other's relationships, we must avoid the right-wrong posture. I've been pastoring for 14 years, and I'm still learning about people's relationships. It's just complicated, and there's a lot in there. And there isn't always a clean one-size-fits-all. I've also done a couple dozen weddings, officiated them over the years. And some of them have been pristine, golden hour, young married couples just, you know, rolling into marriage like it's the easiest thing ever and it's going to be. And I've also done, I've also officiated mixed marriages. I've sat with couples who are coming from divorced families, mixing their marriages and their kids, talking with them, trying to discern and understand where they've been, trying to view that relationship through the words of Jesus. And there have been times where I've come away going, may God be gracious to you. Enter into this. Start fresh, bro. Start fresh, sister. God loves you. You've been through a lot. And he's wanting to restore and renew, and this is how he's doing. I've also, I've also sat over coffee with people that wanted to get re- married for very bad reasons. And I had different words to say for them. It's like, hey, pump the brakes, man. My point is, and what I, th- I see in Jesus, is that relationships are complicated, And there's not a one-size-fit-all that we can just stamp everyone with. There is a design, but in that design, Jesus is like, I get it. People are stubborn. And even though you might be doing all the right things, you're also in relationships with people who might not be there. You don't have to take responsibility for them. So as we move forward, I think we need more mercy for each other. I think in the middle of a pandemic, in relationships that are deeply isolated and it's hard, not just marriages, but friendships, work, church, I think we need more mercy and less right-wrong posturing. And if we were to take Jesus at face value, who seems to create space for the people that are hurting, I think we would do well to do that too. The Pharisees ask, what can I get away with? Jesus asks, what does God's mercy say? The last question that we should ask is, what does God want for us? Yes, specifically with marriage, but also just with relationships and community in general. We end with this. But from the beginning of creation, verse 6, God made them male and female. 
Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. They're tripping. They're like, what did you mean by that? And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her uh, against his wife. And if she does the same, if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. All right, let's go through this line at a time. Well, not every line. We'll just go through as much of it as I can in nine minutes. Uh, what we're seeing here, and then I'll talk about the details, is that God did not design marriage to give one person the space to prey on the other. That's really the problem we're seeing with the Pharisees. That's really the problem we're seeing with the Pharisees. Verse 12, which some of you are tripping on right now, you're like, oh my gosh, I did that already. You know? <laughs> I, I remarried and like, I can't go back. Like, like, like this is complicated. Listen, verse 12, if we're to tie it into what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, is about desertion, okay? It's about desertion. He's basically, after creating space for mercy for those who have been hurt, he is then saying, but I don't want you to water down the beauty of marriage which God designed before even sin entered the world. I don't want you to water this down or to think small about it. I don't want you to just think it's like whatever you want to do with it. Yes, it is important. God made this for human flourishing and as a reflection of God's love for humanity. So this isn't free reign or license to just do whatever you want. This is a big deal. So don't desert one another. So just as I would say in that second point, this is for those of you who have been hurt God has mercy on you and he understands and he loves you. It is also for those of you that have treated marriage as a means to an end and are willing to bail on it when it stops working for you. And for you, you have a different answer from Jesus. Stop. Or maybe repent. Some of you are like, it's too late. That was 20 years ago. Here's where I'm at. I'm remarried. Okay, well then, Change the way you view this current marriage. It's almost like Jesus has two things to say to the person who has been hurt and marginalized and oppressed. He's showing them mercy. He's like, I get it, and I got your back. And to the person who is causing that in the relationship, he's saying, repent of your sin. <laughs> the broader thing, this is for marriage, I think the takeaway from this is if you've been, if you've done the best you could and you came out it, you came out of a marriage relationship hurting, jaded, broken, I feel like this is God wrapping his hand around you, his arm around you saying, I got your back. And for those of you um, or for those of us that are wanting to look for an easy way out, he's saying, hey, hold on. I think there's also something broader than marriage we can get from this as well. The sense of God-ordained community and relationship. Marriage was designed by God to answer a problem in the initial chapters of Genesis. You know what that problem was? Aloneness. I want you to hear again a very famous statement by God with ears afresh. 
As Adam was walking in the cool of the garden with God and he falls asleep, God says, it is not good for man to be alone. It is not good for man to be alone. Now, in one sense, he's finding him a spouse, but also in a broader sense, he's saying something else. He needs community. Now, trip out because... God says to Adam, it's not good for you to be alone, but he ain't alone. <laughs> Dude's got God. I mean, think about that and trip out. If you're Adam, you're just rolling. No sin in Eden, not metaphorical like Steinbeck Eden, but like actual Eden. Bible says he's like walking through the cool of the garden with God. Like, I don't even know what that means or what that looks like. They're just walking down like a pathway to like the river and just chatting about fruit. I don't know. But that like, he's not alone. That means, and I'm quoting uh, Dr. Tim Keller who would say, God has designed humanity a very specific and nuanced way. He designed us a a certain way to not just need a vertical relationship with God in heaven, but to need horizontal relationships and connections with each other. It's actually not enough. It's not enough that we would have a vertical connection. Yes, that's important. He designed us by design to need each other in some way. We were made for relationship. And in this world, we've been given many different types of relationships, family, friends, co-workers, church, and yes, one of those is marriage. One relationship amongst a bunch of awesome ones. And marriage is distinct in the sense that it points to Christ's love for us. So whether you're single, separated, divorced, remarried, wanting to be married, never wanting to be married, or anything else in between, what we can get from all of this is that God loves bringing together, people together into a myriad of different relationships because God is in the business of restoration. I love that verse um, that Jesus uses as I wrap this up where the Pharisees who are so stuck on the law and what they can get away with within that law. It's almost like the law says I can, I can do this, but then anything above that is a sin. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna come right up underneath it and, and see what I can get away with. And Jesus comes along and says, that's what the law, the law was designed <laughs> to point out your flaws. It was designed to point out your weakness. And it was designed to restrain your evil so that people don't get trampled by your stubbornness. But it can't change you. Years later, the Apostle Paul would finish that sentence that Jesus started, where he said, yeah, that law was written because of the hardness of your heart. It can't really change you. Paul would come along in Romans chapter eight, and say, but thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is now therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Jesus Christ. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. 
for God did. Can somebody turn to your neighbor and just say, God did? Come on, people. I'm about to roll that coffee cart down this aisle right now. God did. One more time. Say it to someone next to you, the other person. God did. What the law weakened by the flesh was unable to do. God did what the law was unable to do, weakened as it was by our flesh. How did he do it? By sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He condemned sin in the flesh. He crushed sin in the flesh. He went over and beyond the limitations of rules and law in order to do what the Spirit designed for us to do. He went beyond the line. The Pharisees came in on the scene and said, hey, what can we get away with? Jesus is saying like, dude, you're so back then, man. I wanna show you what it's possible in the kingdom of God when it comes upon you. The law cannot fix a broken marriage. But God can do what the law cannot do. The law can't restore hurting relationships, but God can do what the law cannot do. The law can't soothe the weary soul, but the God can do what the law cannot do. The law can't change a hardened, stubborn heart, but God can do what the law cannot do. The law can't change societal injustices, but God can. Law can't renew a tired church, but God can. The law won't give you a fresh start in life, but God can. The law can only point out your flaws, but Jesus wipes them. The law can only point out your chains, but Jesus breaks them. The law can only highlight your sins, but Jesus changes them. The law can only point out your weaknesses, but Jesus strengthens them. The law can only stigmatize your sickness, but Jesus heals it. The law can only leave you with grief, but Jesus comes with joy in the morning. The law is good. That's what the Apostle Paul said. It has its design, but it can only do so much. It can only point out our lack. And it's at this point that Jesus Christ enters the chat. And in that chat, he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I wanna ask Andrea and Joseph to lead us again through song and invite you to start asking, where in your life do you need the Lord's favor. And for those of you that are trying to navigate hard relationships and hard work environments and marriages and singleness and everything in between, I want to reframe the question you're asking as well. As God, through Christ, is making all things new, ask yourself, how is what I'm doing in this moment partnering in God's restorative work. And maybe you need to ask some deeper questions to get to the bottom of that. 
Maybe you need to ask, what has been relationally severed in my life? What relationships are hurting in my life? Uh, where do I need God's healing in my life right now? Where do I need the Lord's favor? Uh, from there, you might go deeper as the Holy Spirit ministers to you. You might say, what role might people play in my healing? Who can I be vulnerable and real with? Or you might say, where do I need to start taking responsibility for that healing? Where do I need to be a healing presence in the life of others? Where do I need to repent of what I've done to people? Where do I need to allow for the Spirit to step in? What's the next step? This is a hard passage and a hard topic for all the reasons that I stated and that some of you know. But here's what we know for sure. Jesus loves you. And he left his comfortable throne to enter into our mess in order to bring beauty and restoration out of the mess. And if you got a mess for him, he's got a gift for you. Whatever that might look like today, bring your mess before Jesus, who is in the business of healing. Heavenly Father, may you accomplish all that you desire in your heart for this church and for all those who are listening. May you speak in that unique and personal way in which you do, but also corporately as we move together through the city of Santa Barbara with your will and your kingdom in mind. In Jesus' name, amen. There's space in the room if you want to move around. There's communion to the right and to the left and also outside. There's prayer teams in the back who would love to pray for you for anything that you've got going on. Let's spend the next few minutes and the next few songs engaging with our Lord.